0: You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek.
1: Hi, everybody. This is John DeCrosse, the comic actor voiceover. And you're listening to We Podcast and We No Pain. <laughs>
2: Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special bonus episode of We Podcast and We Know Things. My name is Greg Hall, and alongside of me, as almost always, the best damn voice in the business, Sam Matoro.
3: 90s gamers, this episode is for you.
2: I I always say... Every episode is a very special bonus episode, yes. but this one is legitimately... It's extra special. This is an extra, yeah. extra special bonus episode. Uh, we are joined on the phone uh, by former host of Nick Arcade and Baltimore's favorite son, the legendary, the one and only Phil Moore. Phil, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Yo, Sam
1: and Greg. First of all, I love the fact that you've been doing all of these things. We were talking right before we started rolling about talking about the '80s and '90s. Your darn name sounds like a darn '80s band. Please welcome Sam and Greg. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll take it. Be, awesome. Please welcome, please welcome the folk style Sam and Greg. You guys come out with like acoustic guitars and y'all
2: half well, well, Careful what you wish for, <laughs> Phil. Hey, Phil. Yeah. There's my little acoustic guitar for you. Just picked one up and played it.
3: <laughs> See, careful what you <laughs> wish for,
2: you know. Careful what
1: you're making my dreams come
2: true. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, like we said in the intro, uh, former host of Nick Arcade, you've been all around the circuit from Nickelodeon to, uh, I mean, you're you're doing a writing thing now, and and it's such a huge, huge. Uh, Piece of our lives was the 90s, particularly the early 90s. And before we jump into a little bit about you and your background, our first question is, specifically when you were on the set of whether it was Figure It Out or, um, or Nick Arcade, do you regret any of the wardrobe that you had to wear in the 90s?
1: Constantly, man, look, I always say this, and please, everybody, anybody listening, I know we're in the era of the social justice warriors, but seriously, every day I went to work, I felt like, especially on your arcade, I was like, who is my wardrobe stylist? Even wonder, what I have. <laughs> uh,
3: My question is going to be, like, did you, get the, like did, did you get any say in stuff that you wore? They were like, no, Phil, you have to wear this. No, no,
1: and let me tell you something. I had an opportunity. See, here's the cool thing about all of this nostalgia stuff that's happening right now. I get to find out about stuff that I didn't know about along with y'all. Because like stuff happened like twenty five years ago, it's set there and now people are asking questions about it. And because I'm being asked about it, I go and ask about it for I have answers. And I did a thing at this um, they had this big reunion sort of con in, in New York City. It's called Ninety Two Y. As a matter of fact, everybody anybody puts in like Fillmore, ninety two Y. And, and New York, you know, I actually edited my little segment together where I'm actually doing this panel in front of like 10,000 people and the creators of Dick Arcade uh, uh, were there and, and somebody actually asked that question and I, since I had them right there in front of me, I deferred that over to them because oh. I didn't know who the hell was responsible <laughs> for this. And they literally said that before they even selected a host, no, I'm sorry. They selected a host. They had my measurements and stuff. And they were trying to go with that 90s thing. Now, for those of the, you know, who don't know, like, go check out like TLC's album. Go look at some reruns of The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. Go look at episodes of a Different World. Um, That's how people dress. They dress colors. Big shoulder pads. Yeah, like girls. <laughs> girls dress like better girls. Um, Sometimes from behind, you couldn't tell from the shoulder pad and the big poofy hair and the jewelry whether or not it was a male or a female. Thank you, Prince. Rest in peace. Um, (laughs) It was just the crazy colors. And so uh, what uh, James Nathaya and Karim Metev said about the wardrobe was they were running really good. The shooting schedule was fast. They had just hired the host, and they had to get stuff, you know, together quickly, <clears throat> they gave um, the wardrobe person my measurement and said, this is the idea of what they want me to look like. And they showed a lot of iconic images of people from the 90s. And I don't know who exactly, I use those examples you know, but uh, obviously they weren't thinking L.O. Cool J. No, no. They just had to look through it. With PLC and a box of Crayolas. That's what they wanted. <laughs> <laughs> So all they said was they would bring in the stuff and they would lay out the stuff on a console table because the executives had to make decisions. So when I got there, everything was there. And they said, what really looked great on a table, um, unfortunately, looked chaotic on film. So it was <laughs> like, I was wasn't, wasn't there to try it on. And it was like, by the time I had, they, they would go things down. It was like, it was like granables, you know, where you, you mix and match. Like, how about these pans? and maybe this shirt, and then I'm going to close my eyes, I'm going to mix them up, and boom, that's Tuesday's show.
3: <laughs> so, so you never met you never met the stylist?
1: No, I met the stylist, but I was not around for the, um, the purchasing time. Oh,
3: uh, because, okay. You know, they, okay. Would, they
1: would lay out everything, they would have it prepared for me. If something was uh, too large or, or too small, they would make adjustments on them
3: if they could. So I, I met the wardrobe stylist, but, um, did you ever say no? That, no? No, okay. I, I did Okay, I
1: didn't. Because again, look, let me tell you something. The weird thing, the reason why I didn't say no was, I'm going to drop a word here. Again, social justice warriors, put your hats on and remember <laughs> what year it is. We're not talking about 2018. Yeah. So when I say this name, they're all so freaked out because back in the 90s, this name was an OT name to say. Yeah. Okay. You ready? I'm okay. ready. So, when they brought out a lot of the more Bill Cosby-looking stuff, <laughs> which, was like, which was like the number one show on NBC for years. Yeah, you, you kind of stop and go, okay, it looks a little goofy, but the guy who has the number one show wears it, so okay. And then they'll throw off something and go, okay, what about this? And you go, uh, okay, well, you're Chris Cross. You know, they got a hit record. Okay, I'll wear it. You know, so it's like, you, know, you got to just roll with it. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, I was, I, at the time, seriously, it was the first television show I ever, ever, ever was on. Ever. Yeah. So the excitement, uh, the thankfulness, the humbleness, man, I was just so happy. What's there to complain about? You know, so, I, you know.
2: I, I want to remind...
1: When we wear, <laughs> wear a throng and a rubber duck <laughs> did you
2: Yeah, The, the checklist. I want to remind our listeners that it's before 9 a.m. where Phil is right now. <laughs> and he's had this much energy. That's the kind of Fillmore we're going to get. It's a pre-9 o'clock Fillmore, and he's rocking it right now. All right? Oh,
1: uh, listen, listen. For, for YouTube two, folks, it's Full Frontal fill. That's what it is. Full <laughs> Frontal Phil. <laughs>
2: Uh, what okay? Getting back into like before the film Fillmore, growing up before you became uh, the the '90s sensation, and even into today that you are. What were some of the hobbies that you had growing up?
1: Well, it's funny. Uh, I, I talked to my buddies. I have three guys back in Baltimore, and to this day, we're still dudes. I mean, it's been like 30 years that we've been like tight friends, and we recently um, got together uh, last Christmas. And uh, they actually said we were all talking about where we are in our lives and what we have become. And everybody sort of fell in where you thought they were going to fall in, with the exception of me. Everybody thought I was going to be a scientist. I was like Dexter without a DD. <laughs> you know, I, was I used to build models. Um, I love aviation and the space industry. Um, I used to study astronomy as a kid. This is like what I used to like to do. As long as you weren't astronomy,
2: as long, as long as you weren't the Dexter from Showtime, then we're all set.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and you didn't become yeah, a lumberjack.
1: Was right, Exactly. Um, uh, but I was like, yeah, I was. So I used to build models. Um, I used to. I had like junior science kits. I used to have. I used to love doing. Jun- I used to have like a junior magic set. Um, and then the other thing I started getting to like around like middle school was music. It was kind of interesting. Like, um, I, I bought myself, uh, I'm left-handed. So I'm like, you know, I'm like Paul McCartney and Jimi Hendrix, <laughs> but I bought a right-handed guitar and was wondering why it was hard to play It's because I had to flip it upside down and the <laughs> knob and string it, string it backwards. And then the knobs were all on my way. But, um, so I kind of got into this. I love building models. Um, used to love science, aviation. Space industry. Thought I was going to be an astronomer. It's actually what I thought I was going to grow up and be. Um, and, and, they, and around middle school, got into music. I started playing in various bands. I used to play the trumpet in one band, and I used to play the bass guitar in another band, and then the marching band, and then I used to play um, the, uh, the batter tone. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's like it was a collective thing and stuff. But I realized it was all sort of like different variations of being creative. But that was really what I was like. oh, the other big thing that I was into. It wasn't like a hobby, but I sort of followed it, was superheroes.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I, I was superhero before superheroes became involved. I actually kind of mad now because when I go to Comic-Con, everybody's in my way. I was like, I don't deal with nobody does this. <laughs> or I don't deal with people saying, oh, you nerd." And now people are like, oh, do you see my hey, Batman shirt? Hey, do you see my Hulk sweater? <laughs> yeah, sure, I have underwear on right now. <laughs> I wore that in 1985.
2: And they still fit me. <laughs> are they? Are, are you
3: DC or Marvel? Um, oh, I,
1: Listen, I, I, I believe in somebody else's, man. Now, I got to tell you, growing up, out, and man, I had a different, different heroes than each. Like, um, my DC hero, of course, was Batman, period. Same. Hands down, got my... Batman out of the way. Matter of fact, the earliest picture my mom still has is of me and my five year old birthday with a cake that she has specially made. It's a yellow cake with a black bat and it looked like the Adam West Batman logo. Cool. Um, that's a picture of me like, when I'm five. That's uh, awesome. And then when it came, and so Batman I really loved. Um, and um, uh, and then in the DC world uh, was the Incredible Hulk and Spider Man.
3: Oh, for um, Marvel.
1: So I that was okay. I like the Flash. Um, you know, um, and, and, I, and then we're actually like Wonder Woman. Um, but it was Batman, um, primarily, and then, uh, Hulk on the other
3: side. Hulk from Marvel. Okay. That's cool. Can't go wrong. Now you see you know, a lot of folks on TV now, like, you know, they get their start as either they're a comedian or they're an audience warm-up. Was that something that you did too? What? Yep, absolutely.
1: Being in this business is the biggest surprise to me. Uh, And and my friends, literally, everybody thought I was going to be a scientist. Even when I left Baltimore, I went to college uh, at a school called Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Daytona Beach, Florida. That's what got me to Florida. And I went there to major in aviation. I mean, everybody thought that that was the direction I was going to go. Outside of being dragged, to do these summer programs, you know, it's summertime, keep the kids off the street, give them something to do. A couple of buddies of mine, again, one of them I'm still friends with to this day, um, uh, he and his sister are, are major, major music people. I mean, one is a professor at a conservatory, the other one, you know, produces, you know, and arranges music on Broadway. This is like who they are now. But when we were kids, it was like, Hey, Auntie Anne, that's my mom, <laughs> can still join us in the southern musical program of Oklahoma? I was like, I'm a black boy in Baltimore. What am I doing, <laughs> 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 But you know what? You fast forward to 2018, and right now, you ready? that oh, Oklahoma, the I still have this crap in my head, guys. <laughs> um, but no, it was never anything I aspired to do. It was never anything I wanted to do. It was never anything that I thought, even in the slightest, thinking, "Oh, wow, maybe I could do that." Like seriously, mm-hmm. never, ever entered my mind at any point in my life as a kid, ever.
2: So you got down to Florida because you went to school there, like you just said. I'm assuming that's why they always gave away trips to Space Camp on Nick Arcade. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> it all—it's all, it, well, it's all makes sense.
1: For for
2: <laughs> but uh, what's up? What'd you say? I said, I have
1: a space camp story for you. Uh, I actually asked, why are so many space camps?
2: Yeah. And there's a reason why, which I'll tell you later. Go for it. Go for it, awesome. go for it right now. Let's do it right now. Oh,
1: okay. okay. Well, okay. <laughs> Again, same thing at this at this this 92Y conference we did a couple of years ago, uh, convention, I should say. Um, so we, they were asked about space camp, and they said that um, it was literally a pinstroke stroke mistake. There's a sheet that Nickelodeon executives give the creators and the other executives of the show about what you would like to have. Like, you know, um, British Knights, how many of those would you like to give? Well, they're, they're not BK Knights, gonna, yes! Do this. Yes, yes and, BK! Um, but, but there's an actual list that people get handed and go, okay, Casio keyboard, Commodore computer <laughs> system, British Knights, um, basketball goals. Like they, they're trying to figure out the budget and of how much of something to get, yeah. you know, so they can mix up, so that, you know, you have a variety of different prizes to give away. And and um, James Bacchia actually admitted that he misread something and he put down the wrong amount in the Space Camp column. And the budget, and they went ahead and they gave him what he put down, but then there was no budget for... Pretty much
0: anything else. Oh my <laughs> so, god!
1: That's why it's like, oh, space camp again. Because you can't turn around and go, no, guys, I didn't really need fifty space camps. Can I get some more basketball goals? Can I get some more British nights? Can I get some more LA gear? And they're like, no, nah, man, we spent all your money on those darn space camps, <laughs> <Damn>
2: had." <have."> so- <laughs> oh my gosh! That's incredible. now it makes sense. It all makes sense. Uh, um so uh, so back to the original question of you, that's how you made your way down to florida what did you do you know after school um down in florida that kind of it's almost how you landed on tv how did you get to that point from you graduate school or, or however that happened and and then you go on and, and land roles on television down there in orlando
1: Okay, well, um, I got a job, you know, the good thing about going to college is hopefully you can get a job working in the field that you majored in, mm-hmm. which I was fortunate enough to do. So I got a job working uh, for AT&T in Orlando, so mm-hmm. I had to move from Daytona Beach to Orlando. Mm-hmm. Uh, in between finishing school and moving to Orlando, uh, I met a young lady, we got married, uh, and, we, and we moved. And I'm, so now I'm doing this regular thing, I'm a regular Joe. Making, making the parents proud. Look at that. he Graduated high school. Went to college. Got himself a decent job. Got a nice young lady. And bam, now he's like working and he's got full benefits on a job. Way to go, son. We're proud of you. And then AT&T went on strike one year. And um, so I was one of those people just like everybody else. You get out there with the ticket time and, you know, you're supporting the cause. And but while out there, just like you and I, like, three of us and sitting here, like, having fun talking. That's not always been me, even in school, even when I was a kid. T.J. used to tell my mom, Bill's not like a class clown. He's not like rude or or or, or, um, or uh, obnoxious. He's just got a lot of his imagination and sometimes doesn't know when to turn it off. And so yeah. <laughs> I guess I'm just true to form. That's that what I've always said. But now we're out on the picket line, and, um, and somebody stopped and said, in the middle of like a moment of laughing, like, yo, we're having way too much fun. To be some broke, unemployed folk <laughs> right now. And then somebody looked at me and said, Yeah, why don't you like try to capitalize on this and like turn them into some cash? And then Zay, meaning my my fellow colleague, started talking to me about this brand new comedy club called Bonkers in Orlando that was that had just opened, and they were advertising all over the radio about open mic night. And they said, come on down, get up on stage, you know, uh, whenever we get whatever amount of money, and get to come back to MC a regular show with their headliners and stuff on the weekends. And so, basically, it was out of being there by all of my colleagues. Go and do it, man. You just do it. You just do it. I'm like, I'm not a comic. I don't have anything. Just start writing down the crap and keep standing out here in the ticket line, you know? <laughs> so, and then and it became a little bit more than that. It, would be, it, it got to the point where I would, like, you know, go to a friend's house or go to a relative's house and go, hey, remember last Tuesday, last Saturday, we were at the beach, and we were, like, laughing. I said something, and everybody was laughing. shouldn't <laughs> be out the nose. Like, yeah. So what can I say? And I would writing it down <laughs> because I didn't even remember it. Some of the stuff that I just kind of spontaneously would make up. And so I started writing stuff down and started recording, like just recording my conversations. I get with people and go, okay, look, I'm going to show you all. I'm recording something. I'm not trying to get dirt on y'all, but I'm just trying to come over material. And then I would figure out how to take a normal conversation that was fun and structure it into a way to tell an audience that wasn't there. And, and then I went and did open night night. And I bombed miserably.
0: Thanks <laughs> I went up.
1: And um, it, was, it was like pulling teeth. But, um, but at the time, I was encouraged uh, that it wasn't really the material or me that was bad. It was a, the place Bunkers was having this comedy night inside of a, 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 a club. So like people were there drinking. People were wanting to dance. It was like, imagine being there at a club. You find that PYT, you're over there talking it up, you bought them a drink, you're sitting down, you're chatting it up, and your mind is going, oh yeah, I'm getting lucky tonight. Music's <laughs> playing, you're out there getting that good stink on with your dancing, you're sweating it up and everything, and all of a sudden, somebody grabs the microphone, and everybody's dance work, and we turn the lights on, and right now, we're going to bring up some amateur comics for the next hour. <laughs> hey, oh my God.
3: You were doomed to fail. What? That's great.
1: <laughs> what? <laughs> and that's how we all went up. Somebody would bring out this little portable stage, oh this little God. square, the 4 by four square, put it in the middle of the floor, put a microphone on it, and then some regular house MC or the DJ had a list of our names. All right, come down next to this guy, he does this, that, he has his name. please, what you have to for We were all amateurs. We were all Damn. amateurs. That was the environment that they put us in. But, you know, the people that I invited to come see me all said, no, your stuff was great, man. It was just the wrong place to do it. And so, you know, the rest of the story is, you know, you would find other places in town. Because the 80s, when I got started doing stand-up, was like around 1986, 87. It was like the comedy boom era. I mean, every, anybody who had a bar, a tavern, you know, a restaurant, they would put a microphone somewhere and you'd call a night comedy night. So there were plenty of little places to go around to continue to try to work on material in an environment that was more conducive to an audience listening. And that's how I got into the business. Eventually, it got to the point where um, I started um, working regularly at the Bonkers clubs as their, the house one of their rotating house MCs. I started opening up when they'd have like big acts come in. I opened for Andy to play at Bonkers. Wow. I opened for, um, uh, um, what's the guy's name? Yeah. <clears throat> I used to run a fifth grader. Jeff Foxworthy. Yeah, he wow. Bonkers, that's sick. It was like they would bring me in open up for these guys. And then eventually, I started getting so much work doing stand-up that I could no longer do it just on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and I had to make a decision about quitting my day job with full benefit after going school for it, I still had $525,600 worth of student loans. And and, uh, I'm actually now contemplating quitting a full-time benefit job at AT AT&T to... You know, branch out into this risky business. So well, that's that's kind of like the edited version of how I got into this and in the show business. In the right. show business, from like not even wanting to do a stupid play during the server with my buddies to. You know, full, full
0: flesh,
2: like it's a full funnel into it. Now. <laughs> and and obviously, it was a risk worth taking for you. You found yourself at Nickelodeon, and I think, understandably, I'd like to spend a bunch of time on Nick Arcade. It was my absolute favorite TV show growing up. I need to know how many times did did contestants, granted their kids will give them a pass, but how many times did contestants did contestants try to move Mikey diagonally, even though you expressly forbid it.
1: I, I, listen, first of all, I, you're not the only ones that were there. I wasn't the only ones there. As a matter of fact, um, Seth, uh, Seth Green um, c- contacted me, and I've already done like three episodes of Robot Chicken yeah. where um, I'm doing myself. And the very first one I did was something that was addressing that the very thing you're talking about. <laughs> the very first episode, the you know it's the Robot Chicken doll version of me, but I'm doing the voice. And I keep telling them, whoa, don't move like you there, there's a bomb. And the kid's like, yeah, I want to move there. <laughs> <laughs> so even, even Seth Green as a kid, was looking at the, the Arcade back in the day going, are these kids high?
2: <laughs> 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 another, another part that I always found hilarious when I watched the show back, whether it be on VHS tapes that I had as a kid or whatever, uh, would be it seemed like almost every single time that the, the contestants would go over to the arcade cabinets to play them, you had to like tap the one on the shoulder who was playing and almost turn him or her around physically because they were so damn excited, but you forgot that they had to wager the point. <laughs> Points first.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I gotta tell you, that you, that, that, that's just, I tell you, the thing about doing the show is, I'm glad you remember it fondly. I, I'm really, seriously, like I said, I'm seriously humbled by anybody who remembers the show with a great degree of love and fondness, because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things I had to learn how to do as a host, you know, this is the job part of the show, you are know, looking at me as the guy asking the questions, but it's actually a job, boys and girls, you know? And, right. and I didn't know how to do that job. And it takes more than just standing there reading questions. And one of the things that I had to learn was, you know, how to traffic the show. I mean, my own definition now, you know, every now and then I will find myself, you know, teaching a hosting class out here in California. Um, and uh, one of the things that I, I always say is hosting a good host is really, by my definition, um, a charismatic traffic cop
0: mm.
1: Because you're not the car. You know, uh, you're not driving. But your job is to have the, en- the energy and the enthusiasm and the, hey, look at me enough to be able to keep things moving smoothly. Yeah. And you've got to constantly be in motion because there's always another one coming from another angle, another one coming from another direction. you got to make sure that things don't collide and everything is facing the right way. And that was, the, that was the, oh my gosh, that was the boot camp training that I got. That was <laughs> the job training, I should say, that I got. And uh, yeah, moving the kids around, because they always, you want, them to see, you want everybody to see their loving patience while we're explaining the, the rules and stuff and what you have to do. And part of it was about turning them around. But yeah, everybody was so excited. Yeah. They just wanted to get their hands on. they go, "Don't oh, touch me shit! I want to play Mario. <laughs> so that's part of the job, but it was uh, something I had to learn.
3: Yeah. Now, for those who have no idea what we're talking about, what is Nick Arcade?
1: Nick mm. okay, the '90s uh, video game game show, on uh, which two contestants or two teams, I should say, would compete through a series of puzzles, questions, and arcade video game challenges to ultimately try to have an opportunity to go to the bonus round, which is called the Video Zone. Which, by all standards today, with the beginning of virtual reality. And basically, we took took the two winning players and sort of made them Mario and allowed them to run through a computer-generated world in an attempt to come out on the other end with the grand prize.
2: And this is 1992. Yes. The note, this is 1992. This is 25, 26 years ago. And actually on our episode earlier this morning, episode 99, for those who want to go back and check it out, Sam and I were obviously gushing about the interview. We're talking about it on the air and what have you. And we basically said it virtual, just like you said, it was virtual reality before the headsets that we have nowadays and things like that. That was so immersive.
1: Well, uh, the thing that made it really special is uh, I always, anytime I have a chance, give major props to the, uh, the two guys that created the show, James Pfea and Karim Mehta, because well, there's a lot of people that make up shows. We watch TV shows all the time. We watch streaming shows now. We watch YouTube shows. But you know what I've never seen anybody have to do on a, on a television show? I've seen them in movies, but not with TV shows or streaming shows, and that is these guys... Had to invent a technology that did not exist in order to do the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You think about this. Now, these guys, now, these two guys were friends from college and they were um, computer dudes and they were all around just the greatest pair of nerds. They remind me of Sheldon and Lynn from the Big Bang Theory. Um, and, but they were like, you know, these guys, these 26 year old dudes who created an algorithm in a, in a 90s technology computer that would essentially trick the computer into thinking that human beings were the computer mouse. Like we're all familiar with, uh, this is like the explanation, how, how does the video don't work? Okay, so imagine, like right now, we take our computer, we take our mouse, and we move it around, and this little arrow moves around. And then when they get to the little area like subscribe, and hence people subscribe, you, you, you click on it, it causes the little arrow to do something, if it's whatever it's on top of, and then it causes some things to happen on your screen. Well, imagine this. Instead of being outside of the computer, moving that mouse around, what if you could simply move your hand around? And when you get it to a certain spot, it causes that, it triggers that same reaction. So this is what James and Karim invented. I'm going to let that say again. They invented this. And then figured out a way to put it to a fun and practical use, and came up with the video game show called Nick Arcade. They invented the technologies first and said, "How can we make some money off this?" <laughs> <laughs> and came up with this game show idea. That right there, by itself, is enough to drop the mic. It gets my mind staggering to think that these twenty six year old dudes invented a technology.
3: Yeah, that's amazing. And so. That's, that's literally, the geni- that's
1: the real, that's the real hero, the heroes of Nick Arcade.
3: Like, I was watching on, like, the, I guess, behind the scenes of it, and they were, like, when they were, like, running through the games, so it was on a blue screen, not, like, a green screen, right. what it is today.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So, did, did, yeah. they, did they, like, come, almost, like, not come up with it, but, like, kind of help push that along?
1: I, I don't know how they came up with it. I mean, the interesting thing is that, like, it's funny, when I tell, when I talk about the show, there's, like, there's, like, limited... That I'm aware of, because here's my perspective: brand new guy, never done a TV show. I got the job by simply just going to an audition. That's never an exciting story. How'd you get the job? <laughs> I got the job by doing. And any time, any movie you've ever seen, any TV show you've ever seen about the audition process, yes, it's true. That's it. It's boring. You go in, they hardly pay attention to you on the other side of the table. You do it again and again. If you're good, they call you back um they'll narrow the field down boring as all get out but then once i got the job i was then put through sort of the rigors of learning the show learning how to host properly which by the way i um also need to give just a big shout out i always do to my man my friend um mark summers who took time out of his day to sit down and seriously obi-wan kenobi man
3: he's (laughs) He's the og of nickelodeon
1: I think he yelled at me, man. I mean, he, like, he literally, he, 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 like, you know, he said, <laughs> this is my question of Mark from teaching me. Uh, the boy has too much energy; it's too crazy to train.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then Michael Malley's like, "Was I any different when you trained me?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: oh God, I
1: can imagine. So, there's a lot, I
2: can real there's quick. A lot
1: that I don't know about the process about yeah. things became a part of the show because. I'm in another area, I'm in another place trying to learn how to captain this ship in front of audiences. There were other people who were really running the show behind the scenes, but but all of their hard work, all of their tireless effort, all of their incredible talent had to somehow funnel and be projected into me, a guy who's never done this before.
2: I can just imagine how... Every f- how jealous I was of every fly on the wall whenever you, Mark Summers, and Mike O'Malley were in a room together.
1: Oh, dude, listen, we I, blew I, 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 people's mind the other day. Um, because uh, Mark Kurt Fogg and I, uh, oh, you know, Kurt, they brought back Legends of Hidden Temple, and baby. Kurt Fogg and I had lunch, and we, you know, he was like, What are you doing tomorrow? And I, at the time when they were shooting Double Dare, the new Double Dare. I was also shooting, uh, producing a brand-new Nickelodeon game show, another one, which we can talk about later on, called, um, called Drop That Seat. And um, it was a, it was a he, so, um, so we had just, we had a day off, and I had lunch for Kurt. but like, we just had lunch, just called. And he's like, what are you doing tomorrow? I'm like, I'm just going to go check out Double Dare. Call Mark and Joe, him, i come down, lend a little support. They had some press there, and they wanted to interview me, talking about back in the day and what they were thinking about the new Double Dare. Why don't you come along? So, like, that day on the set was, like, an amazing day for fun, you know? Uh, it was really funny times. Sometimes it's when we when we do get together and literally we're just having lunch. Just, just having lunch. And, like, the waitress will come over and you'll see her, like, stop and, like, oh, my God. I grew up watching <laughs> all you guys. <laughs> Damn. So, here we are all together. And you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of, like, it reminds me of, like, you know how everybody gets all fascinated about team-ups and superhero movies? Yeah. When I was a kid, the thing that I used to love about the Justice League and the Avengers was when you realized, oh, wait a minute, so-and-so knows so-and-so. They exist in the same universe. Yeah. That's kind of like what people go through when they see us together, you know. <laughs> um, I went to a beach party the other day um, for um, Venus Damaro who plays Kelly on your Shorts, and um, mm. I showed up with Jessica oh. uh, Gaines, a lot of crazy kids. And the same thing, people were like, you guys really know each other. So <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, we, we really do love each other. You know? I went to a Damn. party and like, Cal Mitchell was there. We're like sitting there together. <laughs> walk by like, you guys, you guys speak in public. Yeah, we do. We know each other.
2: That's <laughs> awesome. Damn, you just dropped so many, like... That that's it for me. Shorts, eggs, all Kel- these Easter Kel- eggs. Oh my god! I can't even right now. I, like I'm distracted from my next question because I'm just like, can we talk more about that party? But uh, so
1: oh, look, look, I'm not even going to blow you mind with telling you like I went down to the dojo, which is run and owned by black, Mount, black belt master. Donnie Jetcoat for Wild and Crazy Kids. Oh, my yeah, God. A, God, Jesus. He's a pretty kung fu master <laughs> in all the dojo out here
2: in California. Um, wow. He teaches. It's, we are the...
1: We were doing the thing together last year, and I literally said, for Donnie, you could kill me with your are
2: He goes, I could fart and kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so on, So on the show, uh, you know, contestants would play video games. They would play, um, you know, there was a face-off in the beginning. Post-Haste would be my favorite part of that part. But uh, sure, there was like Sonic the Hedgehog and some other well-known games featured on the show. But a lot of the games for Nick Arcade were actually developed custom for the show. Did you actually know that or what was that like?
1: I knew that all of the face off games, every face off game was um, a, a custom game developed for the show. Now, some of the other games that were at the time unknown to people were actually games that were like the video challenge game. Mm-hmm. Those were games that were, um, all of them were, it came from video game manufacturers. But the reason why a lot of the time people didn't know what they were was because um, these video game manufacturers would give us prototypes
0: games
1: upcoming things that they potentially want to
0: put out
2: into the
1: marketplace and And so we would get games on the show that you couldn't
2: buy right maybe
1: two or three years later
2: and they also would change the name in some instances i I, because i'm a pretty huge retro video gamer it's probably my biggest passion in the world and i'm sitting there like wait a minute chuck rock give me a break like i know that's not uh, so it's like and i think monster in my pocket or one of those, there's like mm-hmm. a bunch of games on that show that didn't have the titles they would, and, and then I'm like, okay, I, I need to know if like post-haste and the games in the face-off that were developed for the show, do you know if any like prototypes exist in the world that they're still playable for anybody or if they're locked away in a vault somewhere or if they're just lost to time?
1: Well, they're not lost to time. They're actually, they're not locked in a vault. They're sitting on a hard drive with the guy develop them, um, that developed them for in that the, the co-creator of Nick Arcane, um, developed 90% of the face-off game. Oh, and he still has them. I mean, they're not hidden around, but they are not available for sale. Right. Because technically speaking, this is where it gets crazy, this is my putting on my business hat, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, they don't own their own creation. And I know people have heard stories like, the, the most famous one is, you know, Paul McCartney, owned, no, I'm sorry, Michael Jackson, Owned the right to the Beatles song and so the Beatles catalog so like if Paul McCartney or or Ringo Starr wanted to perform it or you do they have to pay Michael when he was alive and now his estate um, because even though these guys wrote the song they didn't own the song and that's one of those crazy business days that seems totally wacky but you know it, it happened um, uh and that's how it was that's how it is, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. with Nick Arcade. Right. The guys that created the show, they don't own it. Viacom and Nickelodeon still own it. So wow. even though Kareem has, you know, all of the games on a hard drive or a flash drive or an external hard drive somewhere, um, he can't really sell it. Got he it. can't really do anything to try to make any money off it because he created it but he doesn't own it.
3: I was gonna say, can you let people um, and, borrow it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Putting.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, you know, he, 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 I don't know about that. I, mean, I that, that, that's not out of the question, but um, yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, you can't really, you can't and look, now look, look. He, here's where I'm going. Here's what the, the positive thing I like to put on the potential of that. Um, Viacom, Nickelodeon, and, and, and any streaming service is all about making that money. And with the success of Double Dare coming back, who knows if, like, down the road there might be a Nick Arcade reason. And in order to keep up with, you know, gaming trends, um, it might be a thing for them to consider. Because here's a stupid little fact. Out of all of the Nickelodeon television shows that have video games created for them, the video game TV show, Nick Arcade, doesn't have one. There's a Double Dare video game. Wow. There's a Dutch video game. There's even a Rugrats video game for crying out <laughs> There's loud. a bunch of them. Yeah. There is, now, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of video games based off of uh, Nickelodeon shows. Yeah. but there is no Nick Arcade now, based video game yeah. at all. I think that's
3: kind of crazy. You, you mentioned the you know the Double Dare you know making a resurgence coming back. Was there any talk? Did you hear anything in the pipeline about Nick Arcade kind of doing maybe like a, a one night special or something?
1: No, not at all. Nothing at all. I think that the door to these reboots now has been swung open uh, because of Double Dare. I yeah. think that Double Dare... Look, let me tell you something. I'm the first person to, to get on Mount d myself. <laughs> it is the flagship of the network, yeah. okay? Um, it doesn't matter what show you like. If you are Legends of the Hidden Temple fan, if you are a you know, Guts, fan, Guts, gotta go Guts it's Arcade it. fan, it doesn't matter. All of those shows are great,
0: double
1: dance the flagship right you know, okay. that's what it is and you and, that... and, 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 and i accept it because it, it's, it's a fantastic show mark did an amazing job mm-hmm. um and like i said all of us guys that came after him you know i think you know after, after mark came mike then after mike came me and after me came mark Weiner, then followed by summer fans Sand- no, no, then followed by Chris Boggs and summer sanders
0: yep
2: we were
1: the gaming people and so um well, maybe Mark Wiener wasn't a game show, but it was—it was not like a scripted show,
0: no? right? Yeah, and
1: not- um, um, it, so it was um, you know, it was it was it, but it was the show that used to happen to see if the idea of rebooting should happen, right? It's kind of like um, like like you know what I call it? It's like it's the equivalent to it's the equivalent to four House. Like there was reboots happening all around, but nobody made a big deal about it. Until Fuller House was a hit, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. then
1: everybody was like, "Let's reboot our thing. Let's reboot our thing." It wasn't until somebody was like the way drug to open up the door, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. To get people really excited about the other possibilities. Then, the, so double dare is that
2: right yeah. now?
1: So no, no one ever talked about you know doing anything with respect to Nick Arcade before, mm-hmm. but. You know, I look. Uh, last Tuesday, I sat down. And I had lunch with the the head of development, and we talked about all possibilities.
2: Right, and it's you know the nineties have never been cooler than in two thousand eighteen. That's just my, you know my yeah. my opinion. That was actually going to yeah. be our last. Question for you today was actually like Legends of the Hidden Temple got a movie last year or two years ago, and then Double D rebooted. And obviously, you know, we were going to touch on that, but thank you for Sam for jumping in on that. I'm going to put a water pistol because we don't do guns on this show. A water pistol to your head and say Murloc, Scorcha, or Mongo. Go. Oh man, Scorcha. Yeah, gotta go, yeah. Scorcha. Yeah. Cool. Scorcha's a, a she's no, a bad mama jammer. I have a special reason why. Go for now,
1: it. The reason why. Is like that deep that deep cut right here. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why Scorsha is, I already mentioned now the two guys that created the show, James Bethea and Corinne Metes. Corinne Metes, at the time, was expecting his first child, and his lovely pregnant wife did the voice of Scorsha. So what was really funny was watching a recording session of this, you know, absolutely adorable chubby face big belly woman going ah, she <laughs> was <just> a visual <laughs> we were all just rolling she was in the little recording booth big glass window you can see her she's got the headphones on and she's just making crazy growl noises <laughs> and the way she looked like i said she was one of those beautiful you know that, you know that, that that special beauty and glow that that that, that all pregnant women seem to, yeah. to have when they're in that that state, and so she looked, she she radiated it. But then she opened her mouth when they go three, two, one. <laughs> 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 it,
0: was,
1: it was like watching the most adorable, the most charming, the most beautiful gullible. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so that's why for me. Uh, I was just around when I saw that happen. And I was like,
2: okay, this is too funny. Uh, so it's That's why is my favorite. <laughs> so, Phil, in the uh, description to this episode on iTunes, wherever you're listening to it, there's going to be direct links to your social media, whether that be your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram, whatever that may be. But for the people that don't have iTunes and can't click on those hyperlinks, could you let us know where we can find you on social media? Of
1: course. On Instagram and on Twitter, it's both the same. It's at Philmore4U. That's T-H-I-L-M-O-O-R-E, the number four, and the letter U. Kind of like, you know, print, I would (laughs) die for you. There's more for you on Instagram and Twitter. And then if you go on Facebook, I have a fan page devoted, especially to Nick Arcade, that says Phil and then more, because my my name actually separated correctly. And you know it's the right page, because first of all, The uh the cover page is the set of Nick Arcade, and then the little icon picture is the robot chicken version of
2: me. Awesome. So (laughs) after you got done, uh, well actually, I think it was after Nick Arcade went off the air, but you did uh, you were on, and then you were a frequent ish panelist on Figure It Out. Um, I was actually. I was lucky enough to get to see a live taping of Figure It Out when I was in Orlando as a kid, um, wearing a Florida Marlin starter jacket in a 90-degree weather. The good old days. Uh, like an idiot. Uh, I actually got to go on during the credits. They would pan around the audience and then do like quick one-offs of special talents for the oh. audience. I actually got to be on that. I did an impression of Chucky from the Rugrats. Um <laughs> <laughs> I can't do it anymore, but I did a mean one when I was a child. Uh, who in oh, Europe I don't
1: know, Tommy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I didn't do I like you know, I don't know, Tommy. Yeah, that's right.
2: <laughs> go ahead. Uh, yeah, my, my line was, I don't think this is such a good idea, Tommy. That was always my favorite.
1: There you go,
0: that's it. <laughs> um uh,
2: So when we talk about Figure It Out, Danny Tamborelli has always stood out to me to be like a crazy awesome time to have a drink with or be a fellow panelist with. Uh, who was the most memorable fellow panelist for you when you were on Figure It Out?
1: Uh, well, the number one is Danny Camberelli, and number two, uh, Amanda Bond.
2: Yeah, um, oh. I did
1: twenty-five. I did twenty-five to twenty-eight episodes of Figure Out. I did a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Um. But the other thing here's a little here's a little bit again. So your the your, your podcast will have something that maybe someone else is doing. Awesome. Um. You know the charade Ray Brigade that would come out and do the little pantomime impression. Of course, of
3: course.
1: rock kid is my son, David.
3: Oh, <laughs> awesome! That's awesome.
1: I like, awesome. had no idea. So it was just so funny. I was just behind my lo- the desk on Figure It Out, just beaming like a proud papa. Because, like, they come out to do this little charade thing. <laughs> and then when they go to me, they go, okay, so what's your desk? I'm like, in my brain, I'm going, I oh, don't know, man. That's my boy. That's so cute. He's so cute. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I did, I did 25 to 28 episodes of Figure It Out. I was on the pilot episode, the very first episode of All That. Yep. Um. And uh you on was a fun thing. And then um and then there was the live stuff. That was the other stuff that was really oh my gosh. I learned how to become a host from the live event. I mean we used to do the smaller things like the uh the, the Nick takes over your schools and mm-hmm. the, and, and uh, we would go out and do the the, uh, the theme part things, uh where we do like little versions of wild and crazy kids and, and what would you do and stuff. But then um toward the end of the Double Bear tour um, Mark had a scheduling thing and I took over the last few weeks of the Double Dare live tour and then eventually they created a new, a new tour called the Nick Live Tour in which Michael Malley and I went out. It was an arena tour. When I say tour, it was like 26,000 screaming kids were pack wherever your local basketball team plays basketball. It was that kind of a tour. It was a two-hour show. And, you know, my, my, my check this off the bucket list thing was, Mike and I played uh, Madison Square Garden during the Nick Live Tour. Wow. And, um, and then the New York Times, like in a, in a review of the show, the caption that like stands out in my mind was, Michael Malley and more on the Nick Live Tour, a rock and roll for kids. Mm, wow, right, hey, you're, you're rock know. stars. <laughs> so, um, That's awesome. So it was a lot of stuff. Like the, that the last show I did was You're On, and you know what's really, you know what's kind of like ironic about You're On? Um, when I did Nick Arcade there was so much about like learning how to become a host and I didn't really know what I was doing and I was a, it, was a, it was a work in progress by the time we got to you on it was like nine years later I'd done so many things in Nickelodeon and I was a seasoned professional now all of a sudden I'm I'm the Obi-Wan Kenobi
2: um, <laughs> and the
1: show you know really didn't have that long of a life but I finally knew what the heck I was doing <laughs> that's
2: I, you know i'm sitting back and we're, sam and i are across the table from each other and while you're talking i'm basically just sitting back with my eyes closed just listening to this and this is <laughs> not, like not even lying yeah, this is insane <laughs> to me right now this is everything i've ever wondered as a kid uh coming true and i've actually told sam this earlier i said when i was a kid watching the show i never in a million years thought that i'd have the opportunity to have you on the phone like that's yeah. the craziest thing to me. It's our honor. Um, um, so, but before we move well, on... i
1: got to tell you, what I, I appreciate is the fact of um, this nostalgia love that people like you have. You, others out there listening. Um, because it, it, people ask me, like, are you tired of, like, now talking about the thing you did it, like a thousand years ago? I'm like, no, it's the best job i ever had. Yeah. And honestly, in my opinion, that whole thing with Nickelodeon Studios closing down after only ten years, it ended prematurely. It looks like it never it never ran out of time. You know what I mean? It's not like, it's not like, well, the show has run its course or this particular thing is done and now it's time to move on. You we were like abruptly, abruptly just cut off. Mm-hmm. And so the idea of being able to, um, um, experience the, the awesomeness that was those shows and that period through the eyes and the voice of a bunch of people who who grew up watching it is absolutely uh, the most fun yeah. that, that I'm having uh, in the old nostalgia corner right now it is absolutely, the fact that somebody calls me do you go make an appearance at our Comic Con to talk about Nickelodeon I'm like, okay sure, and then I show up there and like, by the end of the weekend i have seen like 5,000 you know, wonderful folks who now come with their kids or their nieces and nephews, it's amazing man, and like going out to a taping of Double Dare, it's like the new Double there. It was funny because, like, the audience is comprised of, like, you know, kids. And then their parents get to sit on the top two rows out of camera view. Mm-hmm. And it's just so funny watching everybody.
0: Yeah,
2: because like, they, they were the kids.
1: Collectively. Right. Enjoy themselves. The kids are losing their minds. Yeah. They all I went out to a taping, the audience warm-up guy, you know, starts playing the Nick Arcade. Theme song, the children are like, "Hey, wow! I don't know that song. Who's that by?" And the parents are being me <laughs> You know, and he introduces me to come up and say hello to, to the audience, and so it, it's, it's man, I, I can't, dude. I, I don't know. He said, "Whoever said that you can't go home home again?" live right? Because this is a whole lot of fun, man.
2: And, it really is, and then actually. And, um, sorry, I'm an- just
1: glad that you know. There's a lot of TV shows. There's a lot of things that. Happened at various decades that came and went, and nobody remembers. Yeah, so it's an honor to be put in the category of something that people remember. Which, bonded.
2: and you know what? I think that segues really well into the next question because before we move on to the president, what you're up to today, um, can you tell us a little bit about the upcoming documentary, The Orange Years? You had told me uh, when we were speaking before that it's really similar to Slimed, the, uh, the oral history of Nickelodeon's golden age. It's like a Biography. It was written in 2013, except this is an on-film documentary. Could you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, Lisa Reyes, uh, from All That, um, got together with some other talented producers. And um, she was a part, she had been interviewed for the books line. And and that was kind of like the the, the reunion thing that, I, that I've mentioned a couple of times uh, at the event in New York called 92 Watt. It was a one-time thing, and if you weren't there, you missed it. Mm -hmm. and it was a live event, so you kind of got what you got. There wasn't a lot of room to, there was no, can we do that over again? So um, what she got with a bunch of producers, a a couple of producers, and said, you know what? We were all, meaning the people that were a part of the book, we were all interviewed, just like you and I are talking right now over the phone. Yeah, right. But I think the people, I think the audience would like to see us share these stories, not just hear us, or read read about these stories, and so she, along with these other producers, got together and said, "Listen, let's see what can 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 bring that magic to life uh, on camera." And then she asked me to be a part of it. And what I've been doing, you know, it's so funny. Everybody keeps telling me I checked out your IMDb. Look, I gotta tell everybody out there, I'm really sorry. I have not kept that thing up. There's a thousand <laughs> things that are not on that thing. Okay, I just, I mean, I just finished back to back producing two new brand brand new kid game shows. One is called Beat the Clock on on Universal Kids. The other is the upcoming one called Drop That Seat that was shooting along with with Double Dare. Um, In between it all, man, I've done stuff for you know game show network and now I'm doing the live appearances and I'm also now in the midst of producing and shooting a brand new streaming show which I will be which I'm actually pitching right now which taps directly in to this night and nostalgia you guys wouldn't love it it's called playing around with Fillmore and it, it, it's insane but 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 the orange shears was Elisa Reyes saying Let's do this. Let's do this. let people see us telling stories. Let's let people watch our faces.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, uh, I happen to be one of the more animated cats on the planet Earth. You don't say. <laughs> so you can, so you can, so can kind of, you can, you can see my expressions in my voice. But you know, not everybody is me. And yeah. sometimes watching someone's eyes or seeing their faces as they reminisce about various things uh, uh, is is an amazing thing to to capture. And so that's what she's doing right now. She asked me to be involved with it, uh, uh from time to time on some producing things. And so I've uh, been more than happy to watch, uh, this amazingly talented woman, um, uh, do another, uh, thing to, um, you know, tap into that whole nostalgia vein and put something new out there for the folks. So, uh, that's what the Orange is about. It's documentary. It's, um, a bunch of us that, that lend, lend our voices to the book now lending our faces to a documentary.
3: That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, Drop That Seat?
1: Yeah, Drop That Seat. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so it's a it's a, it's a a game show. It's based partly on musical chairs meets a party meets Wild and Crazy Kids. Yeah. I'm yes.
2: Race. yes.
1: <laughs> so, so if you take an element of musical chairs, the whole idea of there's some chairs, there's, there's fewer chairs, there's more people than chairs. Okay, then you've got to do a game, and the game is based off of a dance move, okay? So, like, let's say this, 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 this the, 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 the floss, which is the backpack, kid dance. So you're doing this, this dance, but the way that you move your arms to do the dance is actually how you're playing the game, getting the balls from one side to the other, getting them in this to that, whatever. And then, when you get done, you know, when the music stops, where no matter where you are, you've got to run and try to claim a seat. And if you don't get a seat, you're eliminated. Mm. <laughs> so it's based on dancing. Yeah. Everybody yeah. that, the, the studio audience is surrounding. It's so funny. I don't know how we shot this show. <laughs> because, you know, normally we, it's, shot, it's shot almost like in the round where it's not like people sitting in the chairs watching the show. The audience is on camera because they are the party. It's like they're at a house party. And the action that's, that's cool. going on right now and somebody says, let's little start of the floor and play some games and there's some chairs and there's a place to play these like what would you do sort of type games and in the midst of playing these games that are based on current dances, um uh, uh, you, you, you try to accumulate points, win money, and move on to the to the final round, which is which is a um a, a relay race. It's absolutely insane. Is insane. Yeah, it was created it awesome. this it was created by Nick Cannon, um, so it's from his brainchild, and um, and right now the episodes are being edited together to be put on air and online at a TBD time. We don't know yet when we're going to get that slot. What the slot is going to be, so I can't tell you when it's going to air. But
3: and of course, oh you are God. the host.
1: No, 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 I'm not the host. I was the producer in the show. Oh, oh no, okay. I'm the guy, okay. I was. Dude, I, I have been producing. Like crazy, people ask me all the time. Hey, still, so we haven't seen you in a long time. with that no, you haven't. But you see my, you see my stuff. Here's a little tidbit that people don't realize when they go, man, what's going on? You're like, you're not a real gamer, dude. I was a producer of the network shows on G4. Yeah,
2: that's Most awesome. R.I.P. Sure you know, man. Like, R.I.P.
1: Like, you know, you're not seeing me, but you're hearing my words. Right. You're seeing my vision. Do you seeing my spot what's the biggest um, difference what's so the I was just a producer on these shows
2: what's the biggest difference for you from being behind the camera having that uh, producing credit as opposed to being in front of it on, as a host um
1: um not having sometimes not having what I call the Luke Skywalker. Look, I've used Star Wars metaphors enough so far. You get what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, there's somebody who's there who can like show you how to do a thing. And then you have a host who's able to get what it is. They're supposed to do and Then do it. Um, the most challenging thing is seeing it in my head and knowing exactly how it needs to be executed, knowing exactly what needs to be done, but then maybe not being able to get that out of the, the, the talented, uh, host that I'm working with. Right. Um, because everybody has different strengths, everybody has different weaknesses. I have my own weaknesses, um, as long as uh, as well as things that are my strengths. And and sometimes when you see it in your head, the only thing that I get a little bit um, uh, what's what's the, word, what's the word I'm looking for disappointed in is not being able to just mind meld with somebody, and then they go, oh, I get it. It's, it's the idea of having to be able to communicate it and express it. Now the good thing is being a host. Sometimes when they don't get what I'm saying, I'll just demo it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, there's plenty of times, a lot of shows where I'll just step into the host and go, "Hey, stand over there, watch me." Can we rotate? Can we roll the, the So <laughs> And then I'll do it because I know how to host. And then there's a oh! <laughs> so that's where knowing how to host, um, rather than just being a producer, uh, gives me a little advantage. Right. Um, but. Everybody I've been working with so far, but they were chosen for the job because they were the best person that we saw. Um, And um, it's been amazing. You know what it's like? It's it's interesting to, the the biggest, the the best part about producing as opposed to hosting is being a part of creating the future legacy. Like the same way you guys are talking to me right now and have expressed how you feel about the work that I did 25 years ago. I'm now crafting and shaping the next me's and the next Michael Malley's
0: and
3: the next
1: Mark Summers. So it's it's that right there. Oh my gosh. And you don't have
2: to worry about your wardrobe too. Yeah, you don't have to have that wardrobe.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, (laughs) if I walked into any of our Modern host and says, hi, i like you to wear this box of crayons. Uh, they probably <laughs> run away.
2: Screaming. <laughs> uh, two more questions for you today, and then uh, we'll let you go. Um, as fun as this was, we'll think of this next question as like an open mic night back when you were doing stand-up comedy. Uh, is, um, is there anything else that maybe you want to talk about or that you missed uh, or that we didn't cover before we transition into the final question?
1: you know, you guys have been terrific, man. Um, uh, With respect to what I'm doing presently, uh, I have, I can tell you this. I have been rebitten by the hosting bug. Oh. Yeah, yeah, I I have been. Look, I got to tell you something, man. When I made an appearance at a con, I came off stage and I called two people. Um, you know, uh, I talked about when I was in Florida and got married and was working and, and da da da. Well, uh, unfortunately, that marriage uh, didn't, didn't last and I ended up getting a divorce. And I'm out here seeing someone new. And it's interesting, she met Fillmore, the producer, not Fillmore, the host. Mm-hmm. And so when these little elements of my past kind of come back up, I kind of want to like, Talk about it gingerly instead of just saying jump into the deep end of the pool. And I remember saying I came off of, I came off of uh, doing the Karn thing, and I called and I said, "Okay, look, you do know that I used to be Superman, but you, you met and fell in some I park. But baby, I'm ready to take the glasses
0: off."
1: Again. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> I just came off of doing a con and it was like 5,000 people and we had so much fun and they were all cheering, and I was all cheering. and it was a blast and I was like, oh my gosh, I think I want to do this again. Except I realized the reality of the situation is everybody that's throwing their stuff is on screaming and they're all younger than me and I'm an old guy.
3: Stop You ain't there yet.
1: so So I have to approach the business side of it a little bit differently. Yeah. That's the reality of it. Look, people look at me right now and go, oh, yeah I checked that your whatever, and you don't have $52,000. followers. i am like, yeah, because I just started it last year. <laughs> Why? I'm a grown-up. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a 20-year-old. sitting around going, I wonder if I can get somebody to follow me. But then I realized, oh, my gosh, that's how, um, that's how uh, social media works, and that's how the industry works. And if anything, I'm not. Here's what I'm not. I'm not one of those old guys who are, oh I'm back those days this is how we did it I'm <laughs> like okay that's how we did it but how do we do it now y'all show me yeah I... and so, um, um, uh, so I've gotten so totally rebitten, and um, people have asked me so much about a reboot of Nick arcade that even before um, I started talking you know to people and, and double Derek came back and we started having conversations and stuff um I've been I put together. Uh, an idea for a new game show that uses like video gaming like we play now. It's not like a kid thing, so we can do, we can play all kinds of games. We can play games that have the MA rating on it. Uh, we can, we can uh, uh We can utilize the, the, the new virtual technology. Um, and And then I also started shooting another thing, like I said on my own, um, that that hopefully, uh, we're pitching it right now, and if we sell it to someplace, it will be amazing. Um, it's called playing around with Phil Moore. I interview '90s people, and um, we get our game on. Um, I, the, the, the last episode I just shot was with Joyce Atone from Men's Frame.
3: Yeah, and oh, that's
1: we did cool. Some, we did some VR battling,
3: and it was insane. Oh, <laughs> if Netflix is so, listening,
2: please pick up the show. Yeah, shit. Yeah, we yeah. we. Yeah. So, it, it, it's funny. Hold on real quick. Sam and I do trivia every single week for our podcast, and we do head-to-head trivia. It's first to 11, win by two, just like on the basketball courts growing up. Um, and so Sam's question for me today was, what member of NSYNC was a panelist on? Um, Nick Arcade. Nick Arcade, or, or was it, whatever it was. And I was like, dude, it's Joey Fatone. Come on. Come on that's now. Stuff, so that, that's that's exactly. awesome. That, that, so that, it came full that, circle. It, it, it,
1: it, 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 I tell you what's really, I tell you the coolest thing about about where we are now, or where I am now, is a lot of people have become huge superstars, a thousand times bigger than I could have ever imagined in my life for me. But because of this weird thing that we shared in our humble beginnings back in the 90s, like we're still dudes, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, uh, um, 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 I was driving down the 405 here in Los Angeles. This is no joke. Driving down the 405 here in Los Angeles. I hear this car blowing its horn and I kinda of glance over it. you like, people are so crazy in LA. Like, you just kinda of blow it off. And then I but the, but it keeps going on and on and on. And the car gets closer and closer up to me. And then finally the window rolls down. And I see a hand waving and I roll down my window. And it's Shaquille O'Neal and he's like, Man, what's up, Nickelodeon? Oh wow. <laughs>
3: Oh, my
1: God. I'm not claiming that Shaq and I are boys and we're all hanging out and we're, you know, having lunch and stuff. But the fact that when he was part of the Orlando Magic, uh, he and the other members of that team in the NBA were such a wonderful, integral part of doing stuff for kids and with Nickelodeon. And we did a lot of things together with members of the NBA, including Shaquille O'Neal. And now here it is 20 years later, driving down a road in L.A., and instead of it being like, oh, wow, that's Shaq. We all know who Shaq is. I'm gonna call with people who are there to look at me like, hi, I was Shaq, no, you. They
2: you just got a more. lot of street know, I still
1: more street cred.
2: Damn. That's awesome. We, we are cheesing thing? it. We're cheesing it so hard on the other end of this phone. That's awesome. Uh, last question for you. This is a, a wide one. It's a vague one, so feel free to take it any direction you want. We are a podcast outside of the TV realm. We talk about movies. We talk about video games. Uh, we talk about music. We talk about everything, comic books. What are some recommendations that you would have for our listeners uh, in TV, film, gaming, music, whatever you see fit? What are you into now that you want to recommend to our listeners?
1: Okay, right now, I said already, I'm a big fan of the MCU. Um, uh, I'm a superhero, I'm sorry. I'm a big fan of superheroes. I'm digging everything that the MCU is doing right now. Um, uh, I would say check and follow that stuff out. I'm also, um, I'm also digging a whole lot of stuff. I know I'm late to the game, but that's okay because I I, I still got my ticket. I recently just joined the old uh, Childish Gambino thing. I was like, because you know, what like I admired Donald Glover as an actor, and I remember I admired him as a as a um, uh, as a comedian. I've seen his stand Yeah. But you know, when I heard the, when I heard a couple of his cuts, man. I was like, oh my god, this is some deep, deep cuts. He's only very because,
3: talented.
1: Only because like he's dealing with stuff that's like happening right now. The other thing that I am in reality is I'm a human being, yeah. and I live in America, and I'm a father. And I'm watching what's going on in our country. I'm watching the state of the country. I'm watching political things and how it affects people. Um, so, I, 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 so, I, so the other thing is, aside from all these other goofball things, everybody needs to kind of stay informed and know what's up and get like a solidarity voice going, um, Because um, there used to be a time in which we can gladly complain about so many little things that didn't matter because the general foundation of our nation was good, but now it's so catawampus that some of this <laughs> trivial stuff that we want to kind of like nagging and complain about, that we need to just kind of chill, put it to rest and focus on like what's important, yeah. you know, um, and I'm not a big politics guy, but, but there's a true story. There's a deep cut story, but it's true. My son, he's grown up now and he Uh, works in the film industry. He does lots of music videos um, and he does uh, independent film. Um, And there was a day when he was out on a shoot and he had like the headset on and the walkie-talkie. And and I guess a neighbor called the cops on them. and didn't realize that they were part of a film crew shooting. Now they had all the proper permits and the whole nine yards. They were legitimately supposed to be. But my son ended up telling me later that he thought he was gonna die that night. Wow because oh he was he because he was the only African American on a shoot. It was at night. And the first thing he thought, this is the country that he lives in. This is not a kid who's like crazy this is a kid who's like Carlton by, okay? He's a tip off the old film more And he <laughs> starts and said he was so scared that in the in the darkness they may think his walkie talkie is a gun. Mm. Because that's, like, the planet we live on right
3: now. Yeah, you, you definitely see and videos like that was, on Facebook and stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah. And so it's, like, it's like that's why I go, look, there's a lot of stuff we can get at. When I hear people, the fact that people are still fighting about the last Jedi. Yeah. I'm like, okay, right, but did you just hear about the last pardon that was given? That's, that's something to be upset about. <laughs> 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 you know? okay. The last presidential pardon makes me want to, like, Makes you want to like, you know, have, you know, the biggest dump on the planet, you know. It should be diarrhea to think about. Well, the, my tongue and
2: my bowels loose. The neat part. So, the neat what part I about we
1: really talk about is red Mary Sue right now, y'all. <laughs> <we don't care. laughs> yeah,
2: I think the neat part about what we do as podcast hosts is we help people get out of that reality too. They can escape for two hours or an hour, however long we mm-hmm. record, and we have, you know, yeah. we have a. We're not the biggest show on the planet. We get a couple hundred downloads a day, a couple thousand a week, which we really appreciate that. And it's a growing show. But, like, that's a pretty substantial amount of people when you live in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, not the world. And we have people from Sweden and Iran and Russia and Canada and all these folks that tune in. And I'm sure you're used to hearing that yourself. But its it does come full circle of, like... There, this world, you know, Blink-182 said it best, this world's an ugly place, but <laughs> Phil, you're so beautiful to me. So, <laughs> thank you. Wait, wait, wait,
1: wait. I love the fact of escape it, You know? Yeah, because, yeah. like I said, I, I you know, I, I, look, I'm going to go see Ant-Man in a walk again. You know why? Because I'm wearing my nerd roof and I love superheroes. <laughs> no. And we should have a place where we can escape. But, in the midst of this, I'm just saying in general, I'm not saying people have to go out and, like, become worrisome and da da but let's stop being more kind to each other because yeah. the foundation is a little bit shakier. Mm-hmm. It needs a little more support. Yeah. That's really what I'm saying. The foundation of where we are right now requires a little more support. So there may have been a time where we could just go off on every little thing, no matter how big or how petty it was, and nobody cared. But let's not like, turn it into character assassination. Yeah, That's really what I'm referring to. When people get so mad at something that then they start like hurting each other Verbally. And yes, verbal abuse is a real thing. Yeah. You know, this place like you guys have, you can talk about anything. It's an escape, it's an outlet. And I'm just saying, in general, man, just as we're just being out in the world to each other, man, you know, let's just, just try to be a little bit kind to of each other. The foundation of our, of, our, of, our, of our country, our planet needs it. You know?
3: Very true. So, now, you, you mentioned yeah. earlier in the interview that, you know, Batman was your favorite. Who's your favorite actor to portray Batman to date?
1: Oh, man, that's kind of hard. Now, look, you may not get this, if you guys don't have You're going to say Keaton, literally, right? Absolutely. That is like asking, who's your favorite kid? That's a hard question there because everyone is different. I mean, you know, um, um, uh, I would say the one that put Batman on the, yeah, this guy's real, <laughs> uh is Michael Keaton.
3: Yep, has to be. Yeah. Okay, I-, I figured that was going to be your answer. I was just making sure.
1: Yeah, Michael Keaton. Um, in the first Batman, the one with Jack Nicholson. Yep. Um, you know, prior to that, it was the comic books, which, you know, had its own, you know, Dr. Gritty take on it. Then, of course, the, you know, the Adam West TV shows. Um, but when the first time I saw a Batman that looked like what I remember, you know, seeing in the comics um, was the Michael Keaton one. It wasn't exact, so I don't anybody to call me out on it, but it was the first one that looked close to it that was ever portrayed in a cinematic
2: form. You know? Yeah. Phil, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to hang out with us today. When I say it was an honor, sir, I mean it was a true a honor. true honor. So thank you very much for hanging out with us today.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure, guys. Um, love what you guys do. Keep doing it. Let's get bigger. Anybody listening, share this. Subscribe to it. Like it. Tell your friends. I want this thing to blow so much that everybody in California is going, Hey
3: yo, did you check out that podcast? Those guys
2: are silly? So awesome. <laughs> that. my heart just grew three sizes like the Grinch there, Phil. That was phenomenal. Thank you. Uh hang on the line just one thank you. Hang on the line just one second though. Uh thank you everybody for tuning in. We will see you this weekend for episode one hundred.
3: Time to fall down the Nick Arcade Rabbit Hole.